It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Every snap is an interview. After the snap. What a snap. And keep your mouth shut, 50! I lead by example. With Blake and Reed Ferguson discussing life in, out, and after football. To be able to leave walking away with a degree and a championship, uh, it couldn't be any better. Yeah! Well, you can take this boy out the real south on a bunch. Can't take the real south out of my voice. And now here we go again. Twist a little bit of teeth because you got thick skin. Welcome into After the Snap. This is episode 32, and Reed, we have a huge pod ahead. I hope you are ready to rock. I am ready to rock. We got uh, a lot of good things in store. I'm excited. 32, I can't me, believe we've made it this far. Let me first introduce who we are, because this might be somebody's first time ever listening. My name is Blake Ferguson. I'm the long snapper for the Miami Dolphins. I'm here with my lovely co-host, Reed Ferguson, long snapper for the Buffalo Bills. If this is your first time joining us, we are so glad to have you on. And like I said, we have a huge pod ahead. But let's get into our Week 12 recap just to start off because this was a big week for two teams in the AFC East. You guys went down to New Orleans. Thanksgiving Day. We love a Thanksgiving game. Love a Thanksgiving game. We are, we've talked about this before. We love primetime games and we especially love primetime games on Thanksgiving. Tell us a, a little bit about how your short week went with a victory. Yeah, it was great. We, uh, we got to go, you know, short week coming off the uh, indie game last Sunday. Uh, short week going down to New Orleans. That was uh, one of the few, as I check off, stadiums that I've played in, NFL stadiums. That was one of the few in the handful that I have left. So uh, after Tampa, I think I'll have maybe three or four, I think, left left to play in. So uh, pretty cool, you know, obviously going to school down there, but never getting to actually play there. I know you played there a couple years ago, so you can speak on it. It's actually, it exceeded expectations as far as the I guess the state of the stadium. I thought it was uh, a little more dated, or I thought it was going to look a little more dated than what it really was. I mean, I, I think there was a relatively new away game, lo- away team locker room and stuff like that. So uh, it was it was it was very nice. The turf was great. Brett was there. I, our, our family friend Brett Carlson, uh, one of the best photographers I think I know, probably the best listener of the pod and uh he was there shooting shooting pictures for the game and he he said i talked to him after the game he said it was uh one of the best i guess lighting football games that he's ever shot he was he he had great things to say about how the stadium how the lighting in the stadium was how it made the pictures look and stuff so no but it was it was say what I said that's always a plus. Yeah, always a plus. But uh, yeah, it was, it was it was awesome. We had a great time. Obviously, uh, you know, a big win over the Saints, thirty-one-six. I think it was. 
Um, so, you know, like you said, always nice to get a primetime win. Primetime win on Thanksgiving is just a little bit sweeter. So uh, we had our little mini bye week and we are back to work this week. Uh, looking forward to Monday night uh, at home against New England. How, let me ask this. How many times do you think it's happened on a, on an NFL schedule to where you have a Thursday night game followed by a Monday night game with like, what's that, a, 11 days in between the games? It's probably not very that, common like, at happened. all. Yeah, not common at all. Yeah, yeah, we, we thought about that obviously when the schedule came out, but it's kind of, you know, you get that extra day and uh, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm just kind of thinking of, of, you know, when you play that short week, you know, it, it's kind of rough, you know, to, on the quick turnaround, but on the back end, you have the mini bye week coming, you know, that following weekend where I just like to sit back and watch the games on Sunday as much as I can. So, uh, no, it was great. Uh, we had a great time, had, ate some great food Wednesday night uh, at a restaurant near the hotel, Koshan, I think, Co- Koshan, I think is what it was called, became highly recommended. So, uh, yeah, yeah, it was great. Had a great time. You guys did well also on Sunday. Yeah, I was going to say more importantly, you had off time to watch the Dolphins play. Yes. Because I tuned in as much as I could. The the uh, the, the feed was funny for some reason. I never really had a problem with it, but uh, the, the Sunday ticket app was kind of glitching on me, unfortunately. That's what you get for bouncing your feed off of somewhere in Morocco. We'll, we'll stop with the proxy servers. We had the Panthers come to town on Sunday, and we won 33-10. to 10. Defense balled out again. I think they had like four interceptions or something. Jalen Phillips is getting better and better every week. He's at a sack a game at this point, and he had, I think, three or four on Sunday. Tua's playing really well. He had... This is back-to-back games for him with the 80% plus completion percentage, and he is one of four quarterbacks since uh, 1950 to do that. Um, Interesting. The likes of Kyler Murray, Drew Brees. Kyler was this year, Drew Brees in 18, and then Peyton Manning in 2013. Very cool. So he's playing really, really well right now and going to try for Win number five in a row here this Sunday. The New York football Giants come to town. Played the Jets uh, two weeks ago. Got the Giants coming to town uh, this week and should be should be a good one. I'm excited. Honestly, I'm excited to see Thomas McGahee. For those listening who don't know who Thomas McGahee is, he is the special teams coordinator for the Giants and was Reed's special teams coordinator at LSU for two years? Uh, yeah, my first two seasons. First two seasons. Yep. Offered me a scholarship to LSU and really has just left a lasting impact on our family. And somebody that that we are still very close with, you know, just as, as human beings, as people off the field, when it comes to caring for a player even after you coach or never have coached, he never coached me and still is, you know, just always checking in, making sure, you know, family's doing well, all that kind of stuff. And so I just can't, can't speak highly enough about him and his, his character and just the kind of, kind of person that he is even beyond being a football coach. Uh, I, I'm pretty much going to echo, you know, everything you just said on T-Mac. He, um, he is one of the best 
uh, coaches that I've had, not just on the field, but pretty much all the off field, off the field stuff uh, that you would want in a coach in terms of, you know, treating you, you know, as much like a, an adult as possible, you know, as well as, as setting a great example in the film room, in the meeting room, uh, you know, at practice, learning how to, you know, kind of be, take, take a professional approach to the game. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I've, I've actually gotten to play against him twice in my career. We played him uh, in Carolina in 17 and then uh, at the Giants in 2019. You know, one of one of our dear friends, uh, T-Mac, that'll be pretty cool for you to see him. If I remember correctly, when y'all were at LSU together, he did something pretty cool, I think, that you, you mentioned to me before, where each day he would have a quote for you or – some kind of I I, yeah, yeah. I can't really remember what you told me. Tell me t- what's that about? Yeah, he uh, well, yeah one of the coolest things, and it still sticks with me today. Early on, I think early my freshman season, he made it a point to kind of tell tell the uh, the special teams meeting, whatever meeting he was running at the time. He told us a story about you know as he was going through the coaching ranks, you know playing and coaching. He always kept he always wrote notes. Right. And that's something that you and I are both big on is writing down things in, instead of typing per se. He told us that he had, and he, he actually brought a handful of men. He had kept all of his notebooks basically from, from when he first got into playing through, through all of his coaching years. And I guess I don't remember who it was, but one of his, one of the coaches that he learned from brought a quote of the day basically to every meeting. To every every meeting, every day, every special teams meeting or whatever, every day he had a new quote, and he would write down every quote, every quote of the day. Um, and I, I've got those notebooks somewhere. I think they're um, back home. But that was one thing that I kind of took it upon myself to to make sure I I kind of started jotting down notes and taking down as much information as I could because I felt like uh, that would just put me in a great position to succeed further down the road, and I think it's paid dividends as. I've gotten to where I am. So, you know, I still do that to this day. I write, I make sure to write down as much as I can, just generic, you know, coaches meetings, team meetings, you know, special teams meetings, whatever. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a firm believer that, and I'm going to steal your quote, note takers are difference makers. Um, and that's a real thing. So. Absolutely. And as we round out our week 12 recap, we have two after the snap Week 12 clutch snaps of the week, both coming, both of them coming on Thanksgiving Day. The two games leading up to your game on Thursday night football, the Detroit Lions took on the Chicago Bears, and our buddy Patrick Scales was kind enough to deliver a perfect dime piece to the holder Pat O'Donnell, also a good friend, for the game-winning field goal. We also had Mr. Trent Sieg of the Las Vegas Raiders deliver another dime piece to Mr. A.J. Cole for the game-winning field goal by Mr. Daniel Carlson for the Las Vegas Raiders. That one actually was was a little bit of a weird ending. I'm sure you didn't see it because of the because of your warm-ups for for your game, but um, heard about like, it, didn't see it. Yeah, they like so they lined up for the field goal. This was in overtime. It was, it was it was in overtime. They lined up for the field goal and they had a 
like a false start, I think. And so they backed him up five. Then after the after the false start, the I think they corner, jumped. I think they jumped first, and then it was a false start. I think they went forward and then backward, backward and, then and then forward, forward again. again. So the the corner there was jumped three penalties twice. in a row. Right, he yeah. jumped and then a false start. I think, and then, and then jumped, jumped again, again. and yeah. then they finally kicked it on the fourth try. The corner jumped on the first one. They had a false start. They jumped. And so then it was first down. So the Raiders had a decision to make. Do we try and get closer or do we just kick it? And they just went ahead and kicked it and ended the game because it was it was a relatively short kick. But uh, congratulations to Pat Scales and Trent Sieg, our after the snap clutch snaps of the week for week 12. Reed, we got some big news down on the bayou. Yes, we do. And I am fired up, man. I'm fired up. Brian Kelly of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish is finding his way down to – actually, he's not finding his way. He's on a private jet, was on a private jet, is in the bayou now. I'm as fired up as you are because I think that he's going to put this team in position to win almost immediately. I think with the athletes that they have, he's going to find a way to win now. Like It's not like like he's got to rebuild this roster – in order to put a winning football team together. You, we've seen what they can do in the SEC, even with not as good coaching. 100%. Yeah, I was a little, um, not hesitant, but a little, uh, I, just, I was a little unknown, I guess, for me before, or I guess right when the news broke, um, just because I had never really done, I didn't really know a lot about him. Plus, it came out of nowhere. He was on nobody's list because technically yeah. he wasn't available. We were all expecting Lincoln Riley, I think, to be the next head coach in Baton Rouge. Lincoln Riley goes to USC. That news drops on Sunday. I, basically, I came in from the game against the Panthers. I showered, yeah. checked my phone. Boom, there's Lincoln Riley. He's headed to USC. And then Napier going to Florida. So those were two of the two of the candidates that people were thinking, oh, this is this is some some shots for LSU that are now off the board. Everybody's like, all right, where like what's the next move? And apparently it was Brian Kelly who, like you said, was not available. Yeah, I, yeah, it's it was uh yeah, I mean like I said, it was surprising to see it definitely caught I think everybody off guard. But definitely cool. I think the more I started to, you know, read into what people had to say about it and stuff. I saw a tweet from Booger last night, noted LSU alum, Booger McFarland. He says, the last three head coaches have won titles at LSU, and only one had ties to the South. If you can coach the X's and O's and recruit the rest and recruit, the rest will take care of itself. Brian Kelly's known for a physical style of football led by the offensive line and a smart football team that work that works in any conference. It's a great day to be a Tiger. And I think that perfectly encapsulated how I felt yesterday when the news broke. Tiger fans have a lot to be excited about. And I think when you look at the teams that are consistently winning and consistently at the top of the board, recruiting, whatever you're talking, you know, whatever it may be, what does it start with? Being smart and playing tough up front, protecting yeah. the quarterback and or running, running the football. Because yep. even when you, even when, you know, two years ago when Burrow was there and y'all were flinging it around everywhere, guess what? You could still run the football. The Chiefs took, a, you know, 
Clyde in the first round. Not because he could catch yep. passes, right? So couldn't agree more. Um, Could not agree more. He's the most. He's the you know he's got a great resume. Basically, you know he's got a great resume of winning at Notre Dame and also at Cincinnati. He's basically built up those two programs, and I think I think taking this step to LSU is just is him taking his resume to the next level and accessing that next top tier that top tier of recruits to take his yeah. you know to take his his record his coaching record whatever to the next level and hopefully win a title. I, I was talking with some of my teammates in the in the locker room uh, yesterday. And I was just saying that it's hard to recruit Notre Dame. Like it's yeah. it's hard to to get a, a an athlete from out of state to come to want to come and be excited about going to South Bend, Indiana. Yeah, because you're not going to get a whole lot of in-state talent. That's Indiana is just not like you have Ohio, which is is close in Baton Rouge. You have you have all the talent that you need in the state of Louisiana. And then Texas is next door. Yep. So it's and then Florida is just as close. I, I'm I'm super excited for for the new era of LSU football. It's going to certainly look different from what it has, and maybe that's a good thing. Maybe we do have a lot to get excited about, and I hope Booger is right. All right, here is our interview with Tennessee Titans long snapper Morgan Cox. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are here with Tennessee Titans long snapper Morgan Cox, a graduate of the University of Tennessee, a 12-year vet, did 11 in Baltimore, and this is his first year in Nashville with the Titans. Morgan, thanks for joining us, and welcome on the pod. Absolutely. Glad to be here, guys. Blake, I feel like um, one thing we need to add to that intro is that he is a four-time Pro Bowler. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was that was a that was an oversight. Your head at. That was an oversight on my on my part for sure. Morgan, uh, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it uh, greatly. We've had a couple guys on. Uh, Josh Harris, we had Overton on a couple weeks ago. Patrick Scales as well. Blake and I started snapping when we were in middle school. Um, Blake kind of took a, over uh, or took after me a little bit, but the reason I got into it was because of an injury. I wasn't playing like DN tight end, wasn't getting on the field at all. Center got hurt. Center snapper got hurt. So I just jumped in and figured I could give it some practice and give it a good shot. How did you get into snapping yourself? So mine was very similar. Um, actually I was, I started playing football in sixth grade, but I got held back. So I say fifth grade, um, is when, um, I started, uh, playing for like a little rec league in my hometown, Cairoville, Tennessee. I played for uh, the CYAA Bucks. In my first practice, I went out there and coach kind of lined everybody up and gave literally everybody on the team a shot at being the long snapper. I wasn't good the very first time, but my dad happened to be there 
So like the first time, my first time I, you know, didn't do very well, but then I just walked to the back of the line and when my dad, you know, kind of saw that like nothing else was going on. So he walks up and he's just like, Hey, you want to give it another shot? And I was like, sure, you're here. I'm, I'd love to. And so I start working with him kind of on the side. He's not teaching me anything. He doesn't know anything about long snapping, but um, at the time, actually, like when I look back, he knew of John, John Albright um, through some family friends and stuff like that. And so I think he kind of had it without, you know, seeing into the future, obviously he kind of had it in his mind. Well, like, this is a way for Morgan to like, you know, be a part of the team and like have a big role or whatever. So I started working on it and um, lo and behold, the coaches kind of took notice and were like, Hey, Morgan's not awful at this. Like everybody is. And then from then on out, probably like you guys, I just raised my hand at the beginning of the year. Hey, who's long snap before? And I just got better over time with it, you know, in the front yard with dad, some more, but then before and after practice, high school, all that kind of stuff, just got experience that way. You know, you did it all through middle school, I guess. And then into high school, you, were you, did you start all four years of high school? I did not. I didn't even start. Well, I didn't start the first two years and I didn't start my third year, but um, there was a bad snap by the senior during my junior year in, in the first game. They just kind of sent me in there because he played other positions and I got the feeling he didn't want to do it anyway. And so uh, he had a snap over the punter's head. I think there was a safety or something like that. So Coach Hines sent me in and it was that was my first position on varsity so like I didn't play I mean I played defensive end and center but I was the backup I didn't really see much field time until I got the job as the long snapper and so yeah so then uh, my junior year I was just long snapping and backup center and then my senior year um, I took over both or I I took over uh, actually offensive center but then I was the long snapper as well when you kind of took over the job your junior year or or maybe into your senior year even when did you kind of realize that college was was a was a goal or would be an option for you to continue uh this this dream of long snapping so i can't i mean you guys may know but i can't emphasize enough how unathletic i am to the point that like i you're preaching to the choir brother I had not seen I, know, <laughs> I had not seen the field, even in varsity. You know, I was just a bean pole. I was 175 pounds until maybe right before my senior year. I just happened to like gain some muscle and got up to 200 at center in in high school. And I couldn't run. It wasn't like I was 175 and fast. It was like I was 175. I played O line about 225, so I'm right there with you. There you go. So. Um, I just kind of found, I kind of found my role. Um, and I'm forgetting the the original question, but yeah, I just kind of found my role as the long snapper, um, in, in that moment and knew from that point on that I could, that I could get better at it. But even then I remember the question now. So, uh, summer of 2003, I went to Tennessee's university, Tennessee's, uh, long snapping camp just to get better for myself. Cause I knew like I might get the, job or I might at least compete at it. So I started working at it, going to camps, snapped that whole year. Then in the summer of 2004, I went back to that camp again, just like, can I be better for my team? Having no idea at the time that those camps are entirely recruiting camps. 
And even then, like, so my first camp, there were four campers. And then my second camp, there were like six or eight or something like that, you know, tooting my own horn. But I was the best at that second camp. Finally, like I said, kind of grew into my body a little bit prior to my senior year, started snapping a little faster. And I got a call a couple weeks into my season, my, my senior season, coach said, um, my parents actually still have the voicemail of the, of the UT coach that called and was like, uh, hey, Morgan, this is uh, Jeep Wade. We'd love for you to come to a game and, and uh, maybe be a Tennessee volunteer one day and stuff. I honestly can't even remember if he had a Southern accent like that, but that's the way I picture it. <laughs> and, uh, and so, I mean, we, like when my parents got the, the voicemail, like we, like we're just flabbergasted, I guess is the best word. We just couldn't believe that like people were recruiting that position. And so I always, it just kind of was the, under the assumption, like, well, maybe I'll, whatever school I go to, I'll just kind of walk on. I'd heard of that, but I'd never heard of anybody like actively being recruited. So Oh, I forgot his name now. Came to my high school. The offensive coordinator at the time probably just <laughs> happened to be in uh, Memphis and was like, they probably called her like, hey, can you swing by this? Because he was there for five minutes. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the coolest thing ever. So I went to a, I went on an official visit there. I will say I regret not playing the recruiting game a little more once I realized that I was being recruited. I mean, the first call, they were like, we want you to come to Tennessee. I was like, I can't wait to come to Tennessee. So, I mean, it, uh, it was it was pretty awesome for me, but I'd never dreamed of it up until that point. I know Blake's got a picture. He 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 pulled it up beforehand. I think, Morgan, you might have seen this before, but we took, I we. It, I think we I came think to Media Day one year. That's right. I do remember that. Yeah, y'all did. Y'all came to media day. You did there you send go. me that. I remember. There you go. So we got to throw that in there. That's that's uh, that's a classic. That yeah. might have to be like the, the promo pick or something like yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's a, for that's sure. a, uh, a major throwback. Show that to me, Blake. One more thing. Kind of continuing that same sort of question. As you progress through college, how early did you start looking at? potential to play at the top level and kind of when did you realize that that was an opportunity that was a real yeah. opportunity to be honest I mean it was kind of the similar situation I'll try and not make it as long-winded this time but like I went through uh, my, my freshman year first year there I just was redshirted I didn't do anything I mean I participated in practice but then second year I was back up and then my third year I actually started we went to the SEC championship I mean, that that was fun and everything, but then played LSU. Forgot about that. I, I think uh, I was at that game. game. Were you really? Yep. That was yep. one of I the loudest I think me and my dad crowds. went that game. I, probably yep. LSU fans were probably, I don't know, 40% of the stadium. We, we went were, as Tennessee fans. So. At least t- – oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, both what, my what? both of our parents went to Tennessee. So, oh, okay. yeah. What happened? Um <laughs> Then, then after the SEC championship, um, I, I kept the job that next year and I'd started to kind of, cause the guy ahead of me, I got a couple opportunities. And so like, it was at least in my mind that like the NFL was possible, but like, again, I still wasn't the right size in my opinion, at, the, at least at the time in order to play at that level. So I started looking up like, all right, what do I need to look, look like going into my senior year? I had the, you know, I think the average height, I literally made an Excel spreadsheet. I'm such a nerd, but I made an Excel spreadsheet of like the height and weight of all the NFL snappers in the league at the time. And I did like an average, what's the average height? What's the average weight? And it was like six to like two forty. 
I was yep. like, sweet. I got the six, two part or the six, three, whatever it was. And then I was like, but I'm 215 pounds. So I was like, I got to go to work and do something um, about that. And so I went and got in the weight room, took it a lot more seriously and put on some pounds, ended up weighing like 248, which I still have yet to get back to 248 uh, for the senior bowl. But I, I got to 248 on whole milk and water right before weigh-ins and I had to pee for like Love three that. minutes after that. But, <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah. So that was, I would say probably going into my senior year again was, was like, okay, maybe this is a real thing. It was me and Clint Gresham where they like kind of, uh, he was number one. I was number two of our year. Growing up in Tennessee, uh, what did it mean for you to be able to play for your home state volunteers and did you have any connections to UT before you actually went there? Other than just being a fan, I remember watching like the uh, national championship in, in 98. I, I can't say that I like bled orange or anything like that. Like my dad went to TCU, my mom went to Memphis, and my grandfather was a huge Memphis Tigers ba- um, basketball fan. I was just kind of a UT fan because I lived in Tennessee. Um, and so – yeah, huge. I mean, like like I said a little bit ago, I, I, wherever I went to school, I was planning on walking on. Well, I was really not going anywhere else but Tennessee just because that's where I wanted to go. I always just kind of planned it out, applied to some other schools just to make my parents happy. But I was always going to Tennessee. Uh, and so then, you know, when I got called to, to be recruited, uh, I got called as a recruit, I was like blown away. So, yeah, I think that kind of sums up like my – my excitement for being able to run through the T and all that stuff. That was something I always dreamed of. We'll get back to that coming full circle here in just a minute okay. with you being, you being back in Nashville. But so you, you finish your time at Tennessee mm-hmm. sign as a sign as an undrafted free agent with the Ravens in 2010 later beat out Matt Catula for the job. Talk just through your mentality going into that competition and, and how you kind of, view competition now yeah. uh, that you're a veteran just yeah. kind of then and then now? I really kind of took the same approach. I, I, I can't credit the decision to go to Baltimore anything but um, just God's plan for my life, to be honest with you. Um, so I, coming out of Tennessee, I was being, I don't know if you would call it recruited, but I was courted, I guess, or whatever by um, the Kansas City uh, chief's coach. He wanted me to come and compete with the guy that was there. I was being, um, talked to by the Houston Texans coach to come and play there. He told me flat out, he's like, I have nobody else here. And I think I can give you sixth or seventh round money in order to come here. I was like, cool. That's awesome. And then Jerry Rosberg recruited me to come to come to Baltimore he was like, you're going to come in and compete with a six-year veteran. Uh, I'm not going to give you any money. I'm not going to promise you anything like coming into camp. And I, like I said, to this day, I can't explain it. Um, obviously, things work out for a reason. But I was I came came to Baltimore, competed with Matt. A- after I will say one thing about like getting to know like Matt once I got there. Had I known Matt prior to that, like would have made a tougher decision just coming in and competing with a guy that was incredibly um, nice to me and kind of, I wouldn't say like he like gave me pointers or anything like that, but like he never, 
didn't answer a question. If that, if I can use a double negative there, he like he, anytime I had a question about like, what do I do in protection here? What would you do here? He always answered it for me. And we had a great relationship. I approached that competition as just like, okay, I would make small goals for myself. I try not to think too far in the future. I'd make small goals. I'd go, okay, I need to make it to mini camp. I've heard of guys that made it to mini camp and that was a big deal. So I went all through OTAs, made it to mini camp. I was like, all right, now the next goal, I'm I'm coming into um, training camp. So training camp, I just need to get preseason film. I wasn't even really like, I have to win this job. It was just like, I got to get preseason film so that every team can look at me this season if a job comes up. And so each day I just kind of took it as like, all right, I'm building my resume. And then finally I got to that first preseason game against the, the Panthers. Matt was still on roster, but they gave me the whole game. And I was naive green at the time. So I didn't know what that meant at the time. I just kind of was like, all right, I got to snap good, you know, cause I want to have good film. And then I came in the next day and I'm looking around like Matt's late to special teams meeting. Where's Matt? Like five minutes later, Jerry, you know, told us that uh, they let Matt go. And I was like, wait, what? I'm this, what you serious? Like I'm not ready for this or whatever. You know, I just like, I was kind of dumbfounded, called my mom and dad, bawling my eyes out, called Lauren, bawling my eyes out. I'm the stepper of the Ravens and all this stuff. So um, it, uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. I mean, you've had several guys that have been brought in over the years. I mean, yeah. Baltimore is known for bringing in specialists and, and just the, the competition at, at all three positions. Mm-hmm. How do you how have you taken that approach throughout the rest of your career, um, both in Baltimore and then now in, in Tennessee? Yeah, I, I think I I've kind of took a page from from Matt's uh, Catula's book. I just because he kind of passed that on, I guess, to me whether he meant to or not. But you know, I've always just seen myself as wanting to develop guys and and help them along their path. Um, I've never withheld information. If anything, I probably overshared. You know, like what what has worked for me in the past, trying to help guys. I would say n- nobody's really any different from the any, uh, Pat Scales I competed with for three years. My first, after my first year, second year, and third year, I competed with him. Matt Orzik, Tabor Pepper came in to camp one year, and then of course Nick Moore. I'm forgetting somebody. I feel like, but yeah. So I, I just I don't know. I always just kind of approached it like I'm going to try and be at my best. You're going to be at your best, and then let's just let let things shake out. I'm not inherently like I've got to win everything. It was just my attitude was like, I want to be at my best at all times. And so, and then whatever, however the chips fell was how they were. And so, yeah, that was kind of my approach. I don't, it's not very like aggressive. I don't know if you call it that or whatever mean, but I just, I always saw it as like an opportunity to help push, push the skill down the road a little further. When I first got into Buffalo in 16, I had, some good relationships with some of the guys there that were similar minded, you know, like-minded with you. They're not so much, Hey, let's harass this guy. Let's bring him along and try to teach him. Even if he does come along and take my job someday or whoever's job it is, you're, you're still kind of paying it forward a little bit, so to speak. Uh, in terms of really, I've heard the horror stories of guys like coming in and, you know, like 
you know, tell them the wrong meeting time or stuff like that. I'm like, man, I just, that's just not me. Like I wouldn't do that. Like I feel like my approach is, is what it is and feel better for, I feel best sleep well at night. Sure. Because of sure. It, I guess. Kind of rewinding a little bit. When you first got into the league, you know, I, a lot of the guys I talk to when we play pregame and stuff, the younger, like the younger snappers, I, you know, I talked to Blake about this a bunch last year when he was going through the, the training process before the draft. It's a pretty steep, you know, at our position, it's a steep learning curve. If you came from a spread punt, uh, mm-hmm. in college to now the pro style in the league. I mean, even if you did, I mean, even if you did a pro style in college, it's still not. I guess that you're not going against NFL caliber guys and rushes yeah. and stuff like that on a daily basis. So what, I guess, I don't, you know, I hope I didn't answer your question for you, but what was the biggest, uh, some of the biggest challenges when you were coming into the league as far as adjusting to uh, play in the, playing in the NFL on the field? So a little background on my college, we did spread punt for my third and fourth year at Tennessee. But then when, Kiffin came in my final year, the coach that he brought in did the pro punt. And so I actually got some protection. What was that coach's that? name? Eddie Grand. Okay. I can't Eddie remember Grand the was special teams coach. Got it. I couldn't remember the guy coach. after, maybe after Grant, after Eddie. Oh, okay. John um, Robinson, I think was his name. That's my GM. I don't know if that's... No, maybe not. Probably not the same guy. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Anyway, no, it's not a big deal. Um, so I did spread punt, then I did the pro punt. So I, I credit that as like invaluable experience to be able to come in and like be able to protect during a game and stuff. Because when I had first gotten to Tennessee, they were still doing the pro punt formation. So I learned early that that would be possibly something I would have to do. But by the time I actually took over the job, I was we were in spread punt. And so, like, I had kind of had that experience coming in, not to mention the guy that was ahead of me that I mentioned earlier that had, had a couple shots at the NFL um, had kind of given me some advice coming in to the league, like, hey, you got to be ready to protect. And so, like, I was already working on it. Now, I didn't have, you know, I've since kind of cleaned up my footwork ever since I've been in the league, you know, I, you know, toying with stuff here and there. But uh, I would say the mental game of – this is your job. Someone pays you very well to do your job and do it very well versus college. It was like, you know, you're having a blast. I'm like, I'm in college, you know, I don't know how else to say it other than you're in college just having fun. And then it kind of hit me my rookie year. I remember just kind of having a moment in the first couple games, my rookie year, like, what have I done? Like this pressure is insane and I just, you know, you just kind of work through it and you just kind of, you're like, okay, I'm here. It is what it is. Just got to work through it. And so learning to be a pro, I guess, to summarize, learn to be a pro and, you know, go about your day with the, the attitude that it is your job and you got to be at your best. So fast forward a couple of years, uh, you, you, you guys have a great season, get to the Super Bowl, win the Super Bowl, champs, I guess that's your third season. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did you... Did, how did you prepare for, I guess this is a super unique question, how did you prepare for the Super Bowl, I guess, if you did anything differently or try to keep everything the same? And how did you deal with a lot of the noise that comes with playing in kind of the biggest stage there is? Um, I, I don't know that I did anything super different. That was Justin's first year. Uh, I think we, we tried to keep it mostly the same. Um 
going into it, we went, of course, knew it was the Super Bowl. I would say the biggest difference was like they give you like two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl and you need the first week just to plan out who's coming to the Super Bowl because you got people left and right. Like, hey, man, can I come? Blah, blah, blah. Or like you want these people to come. You Then you got to figure out hotel rooms for everybody because hotel rooms are like thousands of dollars a night. Yeah, so going into the actual game itself, I mean, when practice was normal, we tried to keep everything the same and not get too wrapped up and stuff. Um, if you remember, our, the lights went out in our yeah. game. Yeah, after, I was going to ask about that. Yeah, after Beyonce did her halftime show, waved at me as she was walking on the field. No big deal. Um, and did then, you initiate uh, the wave or did she yeah, voluntarily wave? She actually did wave. initiate the wave. I was like walking okay. out, we come out of the tunnel and we're going out. Yeah, yeah. To, snap and punt and all that stuff. She, she was like walking off the field and she was like, Hey, and I was like, ah, <laughs> I'm not even cool. like a huge Beyonce <laughs> fan, but I just felt like that was like a kind of a sick moment. And so anyway, we, we go out there and start the first half. I think Jacoby ran the first kickoff return back. And so we hadn't really seen the field in a while, but all of a sudden the lights go off, you know, the emergency lights come on. We walk on the field to try and warm up and stuff. them, and, I kind of have a moment where I'm like looking around like, holy cow, I'm here at the Super Bowl, you know, in New Orleans, like the whole world is watching us right now. And then like Ray Lewis comes up and wants to like play catch with me and Sam and Tuck. And like, and then I see two like cameras roll up. Like, I'm like, okay, sweet. I'm playing catch with Ray Lewis in his last game in the Super Bowl. So there were moments like that where I got to kind of take it in a little bit, but Man, once you get the game going and you you step between the lines, it feels like another game because um, you just kind of get in the flow of of the game. How that how was, was Ray Lewis that, as a teammate? I guess you only had him for a couple years, but he was intense. Like I remember, like his first speech, um, my rookie year, um, we were playing the the Steelers, and like he got up and like had his like headphones on, and he got up and starts talking and just like being Ray Lewis, like that I'd always watched on youtube or or wherever i mean everybody else in the room had kind of like i'm a rookie so like me and a couple others had like kind of this was new for us and like i'm like jack just like let's go play right now and like i look around and everybody else is just like "Mm, yeah that's cool that's cool And, and i realized like everybody else is like heard him do these speeches and even some guys were like you know he recycles speeches every once in a while and stuff you play 17 years, you got to, you know, you got to recycle some speeches every once in a while. Now, Ray was a great, he was quiet um, for the most part until like the lights went on. Like we're playing cornhole in the locker room. I've got a video of it and he gets like crazy intense for cornhole, just like anything competitive. He just, he, he went, wanted to uh, get loud and, and everything, but no, he was an awesome teammate. Um, we still talk and he would, it was cool. A little funny thing about Ray and pregame, he would always walk around with this like, little tiny little vial of, of oil and he would like do the cross on everybody's forehead and then just like tap you on the forehead. And I don't know why, but it was like one of those things that like we just kind of all look forward to that Ray was anointing us, I guess, before the game. That's the first. Dude. I'm not sure I've ever heard I know, that I know. <laughs> I it's never I happened since video, then. So. I hope there's a video of that somewhere on the internet. Yeah, I don't know if there is or not. A couple years later, you end up tearing your ACL 2014. Talk to us just about your rehab journey, getting back into snapping, and sort of your mentality through that part of your career. Because Mm -hmm. 
fortunately, so, Reed and I have never had to deal yeah, with something like that. I can imagine. Would, would be, uh, yeah. y'all, never, but, y'all never have to deal with that. But, that, um, a, that was actually my second. So my rookie year, week 16 in Cleveland, I tore it setting up. I'd, I'd worn some different cleats because Cleveland's field was pretty bad at the time. And once wore some seven studs and I got caught my leg, my left leg got caught underneath a guy named Sean Rogers, Marshall Yonda, and then two other defensive linemen. That was back when you could push, you know, and a bunch of guys were, you know, trying to hit the A gap. I just couldn't get my leg out for multiple reasons, but um, it just, it snapped my ACL. Um, I had to come back from that one, but the 2014 one was actually non-contact. I was covering down on a punt planted, and um, my knee just gave out, and it was so much more painful than the first one. Um, and I thought I was prepared for it going into it because, like I said, I had done had done one. I knew that it was nine months or or whatever, eight months or so. Went into it and realized very quickly that like this is a totally different knee. It's a totally different injury. Um, just the way I injured it, and so it was. It's just a grind, man. I mean. Um, you get so focused on the physical. I heard uh, Taylor Luan kind of summarize it today. You get so focused on the physical aspect of getting your knee back, getting your body back, getting your strength back, making sure you can still snap, all that stuff. You tend to for- forget that, like, there's a mental side, too, that you've got to take care As, you know, Marshawn Lynch, so eloquently, so you got to take care of your mentals, man. You got to take care of your mentals. And uh, I and just – sticking. In your chicken, that's right, in your chicken. <laughs> and uh, that was another thing. When you get hurt, you get worried that, like, that chicken isn't going to roll in anymore. Well, that's, that was I, – I wanted to follow up with that. I mean, you – you and I knew you had you had done it twice. I couldn't remember when the first one was. Yep. But that speaks to – I mean, it has to – it speaks to how good you probably are – you were with the, with the Ravens organization on and off the field that they kept you for so long after two ACL tears. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a that's a – you know that's a testament to to you, I believe, right? I, I appreciate that. I, I don't know, but I, I just kind of like I tried to approach it similar to the way that I kind of talked about the snapping before. It's just like one day at a time. You know, here's here's the next little victory that I got to get to. I got to stretch my knee to 110 degrees today, or whatever it was. I just kind of had had to have small little goals along the way. Otherwise, you just get a little bit overwhelmed with things like you said the ravens sticking by me and and trusting me to get back to where i was before and 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 be better and stuff and so yeah it's it's a grind cuz with an acl especially you don't really feel you don't really feel like you for like you were before until about the 18 month mark it doesn't necessarily mean that like you can't perform up until that point but like you don't forget about your knee until about a year and a half in. You know, like you're constantly thinking about it. I was stretching it, trying to figure out new stuff to do to to keep it loose and keep my hips loose, ankles, all that stuff, making sure nothing else got hurt. Um, and so, but it wasn't until about yeah a year and a half in where I was like, okay, I, I don't even I forgot that I even tore my ACL. So it's a it's a long grind, but it's again, I if you if you bite off a little bit at a time, it's it, that's what got me through it. After having two ACLs, did you? How, how did that alter your? If it did it at all, how did that alter your stance or your technique at all? I will say, looking back, I don't know if it was ACL or what it was, but looking back at like my rookie year film and early film, 
like I'm, it's, I'm totally different. I almost barely, I barely recognize, I mean, you guys got a couple of years already. Like y'all are probably the same way. You look back at your rookie, rookie film and you're like, and I'm doing this different. My stance is wider. My stance is more narrow. Like I'm, my feet are moving better. Or like I'm recognizing rushes better, that kind of stuff. I would say I would, I'm trying not to change very, very much. You know, I'm, I'm very arm heavy with, with my style of snapping. And so I think because of those ACLs, I probably went more towards that where I, I kind of isolate my arms a lot more um, in my snap and stuff. And so if anything that that it would have done that but other than other than that i tried to go back to doing the same thing as i was as we all do you know every time we've spoken with a couple other snappers like we mentioned overton who snapped for you know legends like pat mcafee adam minitary we've spoken to josh harris who snapped for matt bryant you (laughs) spent most of your career in Baltimore with Justin Tucker, mm-hmm. what made him different in terms of just, I mean, he's, he will go down as one of, if not the greatest kicker in the history of the NFL. What makes him who he is and, and, and the best at what he does? Justin's attention to detail is what sets him apart. I mean, everything from which side of the ball he's looking at um, when he's kicking off or kicking, you know, uh, kicking a field goal, like we, we hold the ball, I'd hold the ball the same way each time. So he was always looking at the same side of the ball and he would notice if I ever like let off one time and like snap the ball, like on the opposite side and, or flip it in my hand, he would let me know, not in like a mean way, like Sam normally did, but, um, but, uh, no, Justin, I think his ability to pay attention to the details and like fine tune, um, the little stuff, and then also repeat it. Like in our profession, it's all about just repeating it over and over and over and over. But, uh, you know, like I, I wasn't there for it. They talked about it a little bit, that little hop step that he did before that 66-yard field goal. I know he didn't come up with that in the moment. I've, I've, over the years, I know that he's probably tinkered with that somehow, whether it be in like a free kick scenario or something where you can get a little bit more distance. But just his ability to – um, to fine tune those little things. But I, I mean, even I would reflect and, and say not to say that Justin isn't great or hasn't made himself great in his own right. But like Sam, when we first, when I first got to Baltimore, Sam is as OCD as they come. And so he set the bar a certain, at a certain point where we all just had to match that in order for us to continue working together the way we worked. And so I think Justin bought into that very quickly and made it his own, obviously, in his line. But, yeah, I think that's what makes him great. Blake, to include on that, I think Sam is probably, you know, with as long as he's played, he's probably reaching that legend status. Morgan might agree. But kind of fast-forwarding to this past year, uh, leaving Baltimore, moving to back to your home state, What was the, what's, what's been the biggest transition – going to a new team for the first time in your career and then moving to a new city that's not, um, I guess, you know, in your home state, but not home city. Transition-wise, I will say one thing that that struck me that I I guess I hadn't thought about, but like, you know, when you guys are at an organization, you know, and you come back, you know, year after year, people in the building – that are working in the building recognize you, you know, them, you know, their families, all that stuff. You ask them and stuff. And so 
kind of an un, unanticipated thing that I have encountered was just like forming those new relationships. I walked into the building and everything was brand new. Nobody knew who I was. I, I save maybe, you know, uh, our, our team chaplain um, was with me at Tennessee when I was at the University of Tennessee. Oh, and cool. so like he knew he knew me and, you know, had we had history and stuff, but everybody else, equipment staff, video staff, uh, you know, trainers, weight, weight staff, everything is brand new, even all the way down to PR. You know, we, we spend a lot of time with those guys. So we, you know, had relationships with Chad Steele and um, Pat Gleason and, and all those guys, Tom Valenti up there. And so I, you know, you get to know those people and their families, spend time with their families. And then, so you come into a new organization and it's all, it's all brand new. But aside from that, then it just goes down to, you know, it's teammates. That's the obvious stuff is like, you've got to assert yourself into the, in the locker, insert yourself in the locker room where, um, nobody knows who you are. Nobody knows what you did um, for the most part. Um, and so you've got to prove yourself to a whole new group of people all over again. Some of the questions here, we like to end with some uh, what we call short snaps. Just short quick, snap. f- quick, fire, uh, yeah. quick fire question and answers for you. I know I, I've got one. I think Blake's got a couple. Uh, just I know you recently had uh, your, fir- your, your third child uh, back in June. We had mm-hmm. our first in April. Uh, what's some just some friendly advice as we as we start this journey? Uh, we're eight, we're almost eight months in, but uh, as, as we kind of continue to go, some advice for new dads. If you're not already used to it, get used to crying. I mean, that's just like just like you would tune out crowd noise. Just learn how to manage uh, the crying in your head. Okay, what gives priority? Do I you know like uh, like the baby was uh, crying today and I was like, okay, I've got to make dinner for the other two other else they're going to lose it. So like, I've got to sacrifice a little bit of crying from her and then, but also still do the task that I'm thinking about or whatever. So yeah, for, first off, get, get used to crying um, and a lot of it um, and you know, sleepless nights, everybody says sleepless nights. Yeah. I don't know. Show up. That's the secret. There's no secret. It's just uh show up and, and care. That's what it is. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. Our, I think we've, I think, uh, I'll, I'll knock on wood here. I think we, uh, have been a little fortunate on the crying side oh, of things. Boy. She really only cries when she's hungry or tired. So, but I again, she's only eight months. She's only eight months. So yeah, whenever <laughs> y'all have number two, uh, he or she would probably be uh, a little hellion maybe. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Morgan. We got a we got a last uh, couple for you here. Favorite and least favorite away stadiums throughout your career. Favorite um, is Pittsburgh. No, no doubt it is electric there. Um, especially a night game. If you get a night game, it's it's just there's nothing better when when Renegade comes on. I'm not a Steelers fan, obviously, but there's something about when Renegade comes on in like the third fourth quarter. Um, you just know a play is about to be made um, by one team. And, and for, for my last few years, the Ravens, it always ended up being, it ended up being us most of the time. Um, a lot of people aren't going to like that, but it's just facts. And so um, least favorite. Oh man. Uh, I would say Oakland, the Oakland stadium, the y'all played there, right? Um, no, I, I have not. Reed, I don't think you know. No, did. they played out there. The Bills played out there when I was on P Squad, so I didn't oh, play. Okay. But 
so, that's a that is a popular answer. Oh man, yeah, we've, that gotten was, that, we've gotten that, that a bunch. Was brutal. Yeah, you get any dirt like, burns? Oh yeah, I tried. That was like my goal is like just like <laughs> stay on your feet. My goal is always to stay on my feet. It rarely yeah. happens, but uh, yeah, I, I got I got tossed one by one on one rush, and I just like my whole right arm was just like roasted because like in baseball they like water it down so it's it's like a little softer yeah. for them but then dress is just dry and it's rocks the whole <laughs> game because they water it before the game but then not during the game pre-game pre-game playlist top top couple on your pre-game playlist who's on there oh i used to i used to do the like structured playlist and everything i'd listen to like um uh, Al Pacino's uh, speech from any given Sunday. I love that mm-hmm. one. Um, and then the classics from like my high school, like my hero from my Foo Fighters, just like all the the token high school, you know, whatever. I've lately kind of been into uh, just like the prayer and meditation before games. So like it's super boring, but like I get into like a just a, a mindset before the game now where I'm just uh, – Whenever I describe, like in the moment, it, it, it's great. But like whenever I describe it, it, it sounds kind of hokey to me sometimes. But I just get into like a really positive mindset. I try and think about, uh, you know, all the blessings and what uh, what God's done in my life and stuff. And so it just sets me on a, in a good mindset for the rest of the day and then breathing techniques. But uh, I'm lately, I'd say, not to say pregame playlist, but there's a, a, a band uh, called the Michigan Rattlers that I love right now. Good, just good vibes. And then last, last question. This one comes out of a primetime game Reed spent in Kansas city. Um, they had a little bit of a rain delay and the, the what's, uh, what's her name? Tracy Wilson. Uh, no, Michelle Tafoya. Michelle Tafoya. Sorry, Tracy, yeah, not Tracy Wilson. She was kind of around and they were discussing the ratio of peanut butter to jelly in the locker room, uh, sandwiches. Our, ha- some, our halftime sandwiches were too. Some were complaining they were too about thick with the, PB. Some were complaining about too much peanut butter. Okay. So what she overheard your, us in the hallway. A couple of us were talking about it. I, how they were kind of hard to choke down during the rain delay. So she was like, she she heard she overheard us standing. She was just standing in the in the tunnel. We were trying to get some fresh air, yeah. and she overheard yeah. us, and it struck up a conversation. So. I get it, it eventually made it to made it on air that she had this conversation. I don't think she, she didn't say names, but oh, okay. I didn't know that it came out as a thing until after the game. I had one of my buddies like sent me, I guess something the bills had posted, like the final score was on a, like a meme of like a PB and J sandwich. That is awesome. And I didn't understand it when I saw it and I was like, no way. She actually like talked about that. And I heard, oh, yeah. the, I heard the clip on air during the game during the halftime, whatever. Long story short, what is your perfect peanut butter jelly sandwich halftime snack ratio? I don't know how to like say it in a ratio, but we kind of cheat a little bit. We get the Uncrustables. Oh, yes. Um, Those are my favorite. And I don't know. A little, little secret on the Uncrustables is if you got like one of those like toaster uh, guys, we don't have this at halftime, but if you have like a little toaster – I don't never tried it in like our vertical toaster, but like if you got one of those ones with like the belt toaster, drop your Uncrustable in that and just get ready because it is wow. the best thing that you've ever had. A crusty um, PBJ. 
Yeah. In terms yeah. of, I'm a, I'm a heavy hand on the peanut butter. If I'm making, like when I'm making them, um, for the boys and for myself, I also like the, I like the end pieces for a PB and J sandwich just for a PB and J sandwich. There's a little nuance here Interesting. just for a PB and J because it's, you know, like when you have like a normal, this is a ridiculous conversation, but like a, you have a normal <laughs> like cut of a slice of bread the inside of it is soft. And so like when you're applying your, your peanut butter, you're, you're kind of like pushing down into that sure. bread. So when you get the end pieces, you can press down as hard as you want and you can lather that thing up with some peanut butter. So I'm a heavy peanut that's butter guy. That's interesting. And, and, and for those listening, this is, this is like classic specialist sideline talk, like 100%. practice, like, I mean, try to try to keep focused as much as possible during games. But like when the defense is on the field, it, sometimes you get into PB and J talk. So ridiculous. this is yeah. So, so would you say your would you say your seventy thirty? Ooh, seventy thirty is a bit heavy because I, I think I, I think I went sixty forty, Blake. I think I'm I think yeah. I'm firm sixty forty yeah. PB. I, I might go see. I might go sixty five thirty five. Our PB, sandwiches yeah. that night in yeah. Kansas City were like, like 80-20. <laughs> Bro, we were choking, and you that's, couldn't drink enough water to wash yeah, it down. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. that's, we had that's to ask. Great. No, a big, big post-game snack for me is, is, is an Uncrustable for sure. Well, Morgan, we really appreciate you taking the time and, and coming on with us. I know this is your bye week, so you've got some, uh, some family time to get to, but – once again, we really appreciate you coming on and hope to have you back on someday. So Anytime, guys. Um, before we do share the, share your socials, uh, with, with our listeners, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Morgan Cox 46. Well, that was Morgan Cox long snapper for the Tennessee Titans. Uh, we are very grateful, uh, that he carved out a bit of time on his bye week to, uh, come on and join the show. Blake, I know we just talked about it a little bit before we hopped on, but, He's very well-spoken. He gave some great answers. I think he gave a lot of good insight on kind of his his journey to make it to the league and, and, and was pretty open about how he approached some of the struggles, I think, that he, uh, that, that he came up against, you know, in college, even starting out, and then when he got to the pros. So very cool, great guy. He's been a good buddy for, for obviously a long time. We met him, you know, I don't even know when that picture was. 2000, 2000, I think it was 2008. 2008. I've gotten the chance to play against him pretty much once a year, I think, uh, for the past couple of years. And he kind of, he, you know what, fun, fun fact, he was the first person or the first snapper to send me home with a, uh, a beer pack from the stadium. Pretty cool. I think it was uh, maybe a preseason game in Baltimore back in 2017. So, so once again, great interview from Morgan. We thank him very much for his time coming on the pod. Once again, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at after the snap pod. This has been after the snap tales from two brothers who live life upside down. <laughs>